Happy Father's Day. Good morning. <clears throat> well, one of my favorite things to do when I am bored is to sit on the couch or a chair and kind of scroll through social media, um, and particularly looking at a couple of accounts that show people making very foolish choices, laughing at them as they really get injured. Uh, like the guy who is swinging down into the river and his rope is too long, and so he scrapes all the way down the shore into the river, or the rope is too short and he lands on his back. Or the two girls that ride down on the bike together and they crash. And as a good father, though, I'll pull one of my kids aside and I'll say, you see this? Don't be foolish. Use a proper length rope when you're going. Well, I feel like the last nine months or so that we've been in the book of Genesis that we've been seeing stories like that over and over, right? It's been, don't follow this guy. Or don't make foolish choices like this person. But this morning, we finally get an example to follow. We finally get an example to follow in our good friend Jacob, that God has given us a father worth following in his example. And so this morning we'll see that fathers lead, and fathers lead by repentance, fathers lead by protection, and fathers lead as well by worshiping. Will you pray with me? Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. So this morning we will be in Genesis chapter 33. If you want to turn there in your Bibles. We will start at verse 1. It says, And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and four hundred men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel, and the two female servants. And he put the servants with the children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. And so we'll stop there real quick and say that, men, we are given a charge by God to lead by example. As God created Adam first, we get the, and men who come after him, we get the responsibility but also the privilege to lead sacrificially. We get to lead in our homes. We get to lead in our marriages. We get to lead in this church. We follow God's word and we protect and we lead our families. Fathers lead, and we'll see this morning in this section how we do this. As you recall from last week, Tyler showed us this imperfect man, Jacob. He's starting to be transformed. He's giving up on his pride and he's trying to follow God's 
example and God's commands. We know he is not perfect, but he is responding to this transformation after he himself wrestled with God the previous chapter. And so unlike his father Isaac and unlike his grandfather Abraham and his forefather Adam, he's trying to live and lead as God would have him. And so he's about ready to meet his brother Esau. And so he orders his family to present them to his brother. The servants go first and then the wives and last of all his preferred wife and his favorite son go. And this shows a prominence in Jacob's heart for Rachel and Joseph. And one would think that he was putting those whom he didn't value as much up front. If my angry brother is still angry and does not accept my gift of 550 animals, well, at least he will take out his anger on my servants and their children. And if he's still angry, well, at least he would take out his anger on my least favorite wife and her children. And worst of all, if it gets to the point, maybe Rachel and Joseph could escape. But we see here something different in verse 3. What does Jacob do? The text says, He himself went out ahead of them. And this shows us, church, Jacob's transformation. This shows us that for many chapters, this man Jacob was dominated by fear, and Israel, his new name, was led by trust. Jacob probably remembered these words from a few weeks ago we saw in Genesis chapter 28. It should be on your screen. Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Or these words from last week he probably remembered in verse 30. For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The term here that started this chapter says that Jacob lifted up his eyes. It references Jacob's perspective of blessing. Tyler was with me when I did a little search on my computer of, were there any other times that these words showed up? And I started to share these with Tyler. I'll share these with you this morning. These Phrases, this phrase that someone lifted up their eyes occurs many times in the book of Genesis, and they all point to God's gracious provision and care for his people. It's pretty cool to see. I'll show you, give you a few examples. Abraham, he lifted up his eyes in chapter 13, and you looked at this valley that was beautiful, the land that God had given and promised him. In chapter 18, Jacob lifted, or Abraham lifted up his eyes again, and he saw these three men, you recall the story, approaching where he was at. And these three men would remind Abraham that he would have the promised son with his wife, Sarah. In chapter 22, Abraham looks up twice. The first time, Abraham arrives at Mount Moriah, and he sees the hill that he would sacrifice his son. Later on in that chapter, he looks up again and he sees the ram caught in the thicket. 
God's substitutionary lamb so that he didn't have to sacrifice his son. In chapter 24, Isaac looks up and he sees camels coming and his wife, Rebekah, coming to see him. And then right after that, Rebekah looks up and she sees her husband and she dismounts and they consummate their marriage. And finally, in chapter 31, Jacob looked up and he saw that all the flocks that he had that used to belong to his uncle Laban were his. And so church, looking up in Genesis is a way to notice God's blessing and his care. And this gave Jacob confidence to lead his family. We've seen our friend Jacob manipulate, deceive, connive, but now he's a trusting man. He's willing to take risks. He used to trust his own abilities and his own strengths, and now he is trusting God. And that gave Jacob confidence to lead. And so he goes to his brother Esau, and he starts to bow down slowly in humility and submission and repentance to his brother. It's amazing to see this transformation of this man that thought he could do everything on his own, from Jacob to Israel. Church, it is through the gracious call of God on our lives that we can lead. And men, we are given the call to lead in our homes, in our church. We protect and lead the women and children in our homes, in our churches, in God's word, reminding them of God's goodness and taking steps of faith in light of that, that God is a good and loving and heavenly father who protects his children. We don't lead because women and children are weaker or helpless. We lead because women and children are valuable. Brothers, men, church, Jesus himself gives us an example in his leading. Luke 9, verse 51, speaking of Jesus, when the, day, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. When he knew it was time to die for his people, he set his face like flint, some of your translations may say, to Jerusalem. He set his place to the place where he knew he would die on a cross to pay the penalty for his people's sins. And this language comes from Isaiah 50. And it's interesting to, as I read this passage from Isaiah 50, think about it in terms of Jesus' life. But also think about it in terms of our passage this morning with Jacob. Isaiah 50, verse 7 to 9. But the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint. And I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Sometimes it is hard to lead. Sometimes I don't want to lead. But when we trust in God's power, the Lord God is he who helps us. Who has declared us not guilty, and therefore the risk of leading 
is off the table. And it's not too late to lead. Even if you've not done the best job before, Jesus leads to die for our sins, including the sin of not desiring to actually lead so that we can step out in faith and we can lead ourselves. And so church fathers lead. We'll see how fathers lead in repenting as well. We'll pick it back up in verse 4. It says, But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the woman and the children, he said, Who are these with you? Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the servants drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near and they bowed down. Esau said, What do you mean by all this company that I meet? Jacob answered, To find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, No, please, if I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough, thus he urged him, and he took it. And so this fearful man is now humble. He's leading, and he goes to his brother. And I'll remind you of Esau's words after Jacob was deceived from his birthright out of Isaac, their father. Genesis 27. It says, Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to him, The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. The only thing that Esau has over his brother at this point, other than his age, is this massive army of 400 men. But trusting God and leading his family, Jacob approaches with humility. Multiple times the text refers to his brother Esau as his Lord, or Jacob in the first person saying, I am your servant. And he's deferring with humility. And this man Jacob, who has never feared anybody, or felt the need for humility, is continuing to change. And so God has grace towards Jacob. Not only does Jacob undergo a transformation of his heart, but so does Esau. Jacob moves towards his older brother in humility and repentance. And what does Esau do? He ran. He embraced. He wept. He kissed his brother. The ice is now broken in the relationship. The reconciliation has commenced and they begin to talk to each other. And Jacob initiates repentance towards his brother. In verse 5, You might have picked it up. Esau lifted up his eyes to his brother, Jacob. God's blessings were coming to Esau as well, who lost everything to his younger brother. And the greatest blessing was not the stuff that his brother was bringing back, but it was the inward transformation that was happening between these two men. And so repentance, biblically, is taking a turn and making a change 
What would Jacob and Esau's parents would have done if they saw these two brothers fighting all the time? They probably would have been like all of us and said, knock it off, stop. Sometimes we would use the words like forgiveness. It's a good word. Sometimes we say, I'm sorry. Theologians call saying sorry and being sorry is that of contrition, feeling bad for something we did wrong. When I get angry at my kids and I say I'm sorry, it doesn't stop there. My kids will oftentimes say it's okay and it's not okay or I wouldn't feel bad about it. Jesus wouldn't have to die on the cross for it. I'll ask them for forgiveness. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. And so we model God's forgiveness, canceling the record of debt, giving up on revenge, and doing good to others in our forgiveness. But along with contrition and along with forgiveness, church, we need repentance. My kids need me not to be angry at them, period. I need to change. I need to turn from my sin, and I need to turn towards my actions that would be in line with the actions and the counsel of God's word. We are called to holiness, church, for God is holy. And re repentance is defined by a couple theologians that we would trust as a heartfelt conviction of sin a contrition over the offenses to God, a turning away from a sinful way of life, but a turning towards a God-honoring way of life. Jacob is sorry, but he's also repenting. And so Jacob, in his deceit, in his theft, in his cunning, in his strength, he finally acknowledges to another man, it was all of God. It was all God's grace to me. All this company, all these animals, this large family was a gift of God. Everything used to belong to our uncle Laban, but now it is mine, but it came through the gracious hand of God. Jacob deserved nothing. I think we would probably agree with that. But in some cases, in some sense, he also deserved death. He was threatened by death from not only his brother, but also his uncle, whom he stole everything from. But it's all grace towards Jacob, a sinful man who struggles to trust God like all of us. And Jacob leads in humility and repentance, but so does his family. They follow his example. Group by group, approach Esau in repentance, bowing down in submission to Esau. Church, Jacob is leading properly and his family is following his lead. The word that Jacob uses for this grace of God is favor. You'll see that in your text. And that God has shown Jacob favor. This word showed up last week as Jacob sought favor from Esau in sending these animals as an offering by a messenger. And in the book of Genesis, a third of all of the usage of this term favor come from Jacob. He is starting to change. 
Jacob doesn't say that God blessed him, but rather that he has received favor from God. It's a, it's a different word. And Jacob is acknowledging that God's grace has come to him. Jacob didn't say, I stole it, I moved it because I'm strong, but it's God's grace to him. He didn't connive it, God showed him favor. Jacob has changed. He's repented. He's continuing to repent. As Martin Luther said in his first of his 95 theses, our Lord and Master Jesus Christ willed that the entire life of believers be to be that of repentance. Repentance, church, does not stop at conversion. It continues. In verse 10, Jacob also wants to find favor in the eyes of Esau. Jacob, who saw the face of God, as Tyler helped us to see in the last chapter, has now said that he has seen his brother as if seeing the face of God. And the favor and grace that Jacob has received from God is the same grace and favor that Esau is now receiving and showing from his brother. And this picture is a mirror for Jacob. He has seen God and it's reminding Jacob more and more of the grace that comes from God, and now through his brother. And so Jacob continues his reconciliation and his repentance, and he wants to give back out of the blessing that he has received from God back to his brother Esau to try and make some amends. And he cannot give his brother back his birthright, and he cannot give back his brother the blessing. Those are used by God to propagate the promises through this promised family. But he wants to compensate his brother with at least some of the physical blessings that he has received as he acknowledges that everything that he has truly belongs to God. It was not his. It used to belong to Laban, but it really wasn't Laban's. It was God's. And since it all belongs to God anyway, he can give back some and extend his blessing to his brother. Even Esau seemed confused by this. Such a drastic life has occurred in his brother. He doesn't understand. He doesn't want the gifts. But Jacob, he doesn't take no for an answer. And this as well reminds me of Jesus. He, what reminds me of Jesus is how it was unnecessary for Jesus to even repent. He never sinned. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake He, speaking of Jesus, made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. And so church, Jesus didn't repent because He didn't need to. He knew no sin, but He took on our sin on the cross. And in His leading he did this so that we would be able to repent and change and become who we were originally created to be. In Adam, we inherited sin. We saw that in Genesis 3. And in Jesus, we are no longer in Adam. We are in a new Adam without sin. And just like Esau is shocked with this changed brother, we can be grateful and amazed that by the grace of God, we can change. We can repent. That we can all be considered righteous as well. 
In verse 9 to 10, we see the words, accept. Jacob, Jacob was pleading with his brother, accept my gift, accept my offering. And this term is an important term in the scriptures that refers to the sacrificial system. Someone who would accept a sacrifice on one's behalf. It's used of God three times in the book of Leviticus, two books after Genesis. And so what Jacob is saying is that since you have received me with forgiveness, as God has, accept my offering as God would. The transformation of Esau continues. He accepts the gift of Jacob like God accepts the offering of his son for you and I. Some of you know people like this. Maybe you were a person like this. Your, your life was headed one way. And Jesus apprehended you and you 180 degree turn. Some of us still struggle today. You may not realize this, but on Father's Day, you can ask my children. They will confirm that I am not a perfect father. Jesus said, but Jesus was sent from his father. He leads so that we can lead. Jesus didn't need to repent so that we could repent, church. And we as fathers, we get to lead and we can lead by example. So fathers lead, fathers lead in repenting. And next we'll see that from Jacob that fathers lead in protecting. We'll pick it back up in verse 12. Then Esau said, Let us journey on our way, and I will go ahead of you. But Jacob said to him, My Lord, who knows that the children are frail, and that the nursing flocks and herds are a care to me, if they are driven hard for one day, all the flocks will die. Let my Lord pass on ahead of his servant, and I will lead on slowly at the pace of the livestock that are ahead of me, and at the pace of the children until I come to my Lord in Seir. And so Esau said, let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, what need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. But Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built himself a house and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the name of the place is called Succoth. Like Jacob led his family... His older brother wants to lead him, his extended family. He says, follow me home. I have this army of 400 men, and as a sign of protection, Esau says, follow me, we'll protect you, we'll lead you to where you need to go. But Jacob doesn't have any of it. Some, of, some commentators suggest that Jacob might not still trust his brother Esau. And so Jacob says, I'll protect my family by not having them run too far and too hard or going any faster than they need to go to their destination. We, from time to time, will take a family hike. Often, our two boys will run ahead. I don't care how steep the hill is, they are gone. They think it's fun to disappear over the crest. But traditionally, when you're hiking, you put the slowest person in the front that they set the pace for those so that no one is left behind. When I'd go hiking from time to time, I had a friend who would always say, summiting is optional. Returning home 
is mandatory. But to do that, to get to the destination, we have to work together. And for Jacob, returning to Canaan was mandatory. But as a sign of humility and respect, Jacob courteously notes again that Esau is his Lord. And as John Calvin suggested in his assessment of these circumstances, perhaps Esau's charity may not last very long. Jacob, he's holding back, thinking maybe this brother, who said he would kill me, might actually do it once I put my guard down. We talked about forgiveness already. And sometimes people say the words, you know, forgive and forget. That's a lie. When we are hurt, we still remember. And it's okay to be cautious. And so if I got into the church's bank account and I withdrew $50,000 and kept it for myself, you probably would not have me count the offering anymore if I still had a job, right? You would maybe forgive me, but you would not forget what I did. And so with Jacob, on top of his caution with Esau, protecting his family, one commentator says that there might be another reason for Jacob's hesitation. Where was Jacob returning? At the Lord's instruction, Jacob is leading his family to his homeland of Canaan. Seir, where Esau wanted to lead him, is not in Canaan. Jacob is protecting his family. He's either protecting them from his brother, out of caution and fear of being killed by a man, or he's protecting his family from disobeying God. I think it was both. We've seen Jacob lead, we've seen Jacob repent, and now we've seen Jacob protect. And again, Jacob is acting like Christ towards us. Jesus, he led himself to Jerusalem without need of repentance so that he would protect his people from the wrath of God. Sometimes we don't like those words, but let's allow God's word in the Bible to speak to them. Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Or maybe the most famous passage in all of Scripture that Dave read for us, John 3, starting in verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. We love those verses, and we quote those verses, and oftentimes we end at those verses, but in the context, it continues. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. In church, we love the good news, right? But without bad news, there really is no good news. All men, all women, 
all are sinful. We loved our sin, and we were condemned because of it. All were on the path of eternal judgment, and in order to spare us from the wrath of God, Jesus came. He took initiative without sin and need to repent to protect us from the wrath of God. And so he took on our sin, church, so that we didn't have to be punished for it. And what a great and good and loving Father we have. That we get to worship on this Father's Day. Who leads, who sacrifices his son for us. And so fathers we lead. Fathers lead in repenting. Fathers lead in protecting. And fathers, finally we will see that we lead in worshiping. We'll finish up starting in verse 18. And Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, and on his way to Bananaram. And he camped before the city, and from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, he brought for a hundred pieces of silver of money the land, the piece of land on which he had pitched his tent. There he erected an altar and called it El Elohe Israel. We have a good example here, church, in Jacob. Finally, right? This Father's Day. Let's not be like the world. Let's go home and just watch some golf, take a nap, have a good lunch, mow the lawn, which I'm not opposed to doing. This Father's Day, let's serve and lead our families in what they need most. If we're actually leading, someone should be following, right? I love Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And so let our families look through our leadership to God's leadership. Let's lead by repentance. Paul encourages us here too in Romans 2, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance? And so this kindness, this love, this forgiveness that we receive in Christ, we get to model in our homes and kindness from God. We get to lead as well in protecting as God leads and protects us. Psalm 23 Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you, speaking of God, are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We get an opportunity to protect like God does, leading our children and our church into safety and wisdom, carefully comforting them and each other in our challenges. But most importantly, church, let's lead through being an example of worship in our homes as well as in our church. In calling the altar, what it means is El, which is the name of God, the God of Israel. Jacob is acknowledging that the creator of the world has changed his name to Israel, and this is now his God. By implication, he is saying that my God is also the God of my family. No longer is Jacob the God with the lowercase g of his life. And he's finally submitted to the God of the universe. 
the God who keeps his word, who fulfills all of his promises. Back in chapter 28, Jacob had vowed at Bethel, as we saw a couple weeks ago, that if the Lord brought him back to his father's house in peace, that the Lord will be my God. He's not yet back yet, but he is very close. And this stone marker that he erected is a marker of worship that declares back to God who he is and what he's done. And this pillar is also a physical reminder for himself and his family. If they ever decide and try to leave this promised land, that they would walk by this stone pillar, maybe even stub their toe on it, and repent and turn back to the covenant-keeping, covenant-promise-keeping, loving Father that we have in the God of the universe. In verses 16 to 20, it contains a lot of geographical locations. And I feel like you might be feeling right now, when you guys mention a small, obscure town in Vermont, I have no idea where it is. But I did some research this week. Victory, Vermont is the smallest town. 62 people. You can look up where it is when you get home. So what's the significance of these towns? So the town of Succoth is only four miles away. Seir, where Esau wanted him to go, is about 100. And they've already walked hundreds of miles, as Tyler reminded us last week. And what's most important here are not the town's names, but what happens in these towns. Shechem is the same area that Jacob's grandfather came to. Genesis chapter 12, probably like early November for us. Let me read it for you. Abraham passed through the land of this place at Shechem to the oak of Moreh. And that time the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham, Abraham, Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give you this land. And so he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So either Jacob is reconstructing this already 150-year-old altar that his grandfather had built, or he's making a second one. But regardless, these bookends in the book of Genesis are important. This man, Abraham, who left Ur with just his wife and the promises that he had received from God, is finally able to show us, as we read in our chapter today, that God is fulfilling his promises. Jacob with his 15 family members, his multitudes of animals, his servants are coming and God has fulfilled his promises to Abraham. And this was not Jacob's final destinations as we see that he built a camp in the last, or in verse uh, 19. He pitched a tent there because it was not his home. It was in the promised land And a man who stayed with Laban for 20 years outside of the promised land, he just wants to get home. He arrives safely in Shechem. And some translators, your Bible that you're reading might have a footnote that say he arrived peacefully. The word here comes from the same root word for shalom, for peace. And some may even say, as one commentator did, that he came to the town of Salem. 
And this isn't the first time we've seen the place of Salem in the book of Genesis. As you recall, all the way back in Genesis 14, a king, a king of Salem, a king of peace named Melchizedek came to Abraham after Abraham had defeated these kings that came from Mesopotamia, which is the same area where Laban was from. And he was the king of peace. This king from this city, the city that would later be called Jerusalem, this city where the king of the universe would come to die many years later on our behalf on the cross for our sins. He would be buried there. He would raise from the third day, conquering our greatest enemies of Satan, sin, and death. And as I'm reading this, I'm sitting there like, it's all making sense. And God connecting all the dots throughout the book of Genesis. And what greater response should we have, church, than to worship like our brother Jacob did? To declare back to God what he has done, who he is, and give him the praise that he is due. And we will do that shortly. But before we do, some of you on Father's Day with this passage might be discouraged. Maybe you feel like your father hasn't done these things and you've been hurt. Or maybe you feel like you can't do these things yourself. And as we've seen over and over, the Genesis is an account of this patriarchal family. But it's an account of the best father in the universe. Genesis is about God. And so no matter how good your father is, God's better. No matter how bad your father may have been, God restores. God can help us. This church can help. We don't have to do this alone. And so church, we're called to faithfulness. And God brings fruitfulness in our lives through our faithfulness to him. This is not the end of Jacob's story. He has 11 at this point, soon to be a 12th child. And we'll see how Jacob's family begins to act as they follow some of his lead. We have next week the defiling of Jacob's daughter. We have a vengeful murder in response by his second and third sons. We have his first and his fourth son committing some despicable sexual sin in the weeks ahead. Ten of his sons sell Joseph into slavery. Makes our families look pretty good, huh? Jacob was trying to be faithful, but that doesn't guarantee, church, that our kids will follow. But it does show us the way to lead them, trusting that God's hand will transform them as we'll see in Joseph in a few weeks. And Joseph, he was the youngest of Jacob's son at this time, and we saw him back in verse 2, the only one of Jacob's sons that was mentioned. And this chapter marks where the story shifts to Joseph, where Joseph begins to take prominence in the story, which will come all the way through to the end in chapter 50, ending doing for his family what his father never did. And so churches, our homes will not be perfect. I probably don't need to even say that to you, but this is no perfect family of Jacob. But we have a good and loving father, don't we? Who deserves our worship this Father's Day and every day. 
And when we trust in His Son, Jesus' death, on our behalf, He no longer looks at us as sinners. He looks at us as His perfect Son, His perfect daughter. And He says this of you and me and us. Matthew three seventeen, This is my beloved son or daughter with whom I am well pleased. Those are the greatest Father's Day words we can hear, church. And so as we invite the worship team back up, let's worship. Let's declare back to God who he is and what he's done and give him the praise that he is due. Father, we thank you that we get to come as your people. That we even get to call you Father because of the work that your only Son did on our behalf. And so God, we ask for your help as we lead, we repent, we protect, and we worship. And so God, we want to do that right now as we declare back to you who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name. Amen.